during the first week of Advent, we looked at the promise of a Savior. If you were with us, you would, we would move quickly through the Old Testament. We looked at a lot of different places where that promise was made. And, and we're reminded that God never does anything He doesn't tell us about. He speaks to us. He shares with us His plan. It's a wonderful thing. And, and from a human perspective, the wait was very long. And from God's perspective, of course, we know the Scripture says it's short. That God in His perfect time will bring about what He promises to do. He always does. Last week, we looked at the birth of Christ and remind ourselves that God does promise, he, he makes promises, He perfectly keeps those. And so we could look to the future and say, Christ will return because when God promised before, He was true to His promise. He's, he's true to that promise even today. We can wait with expectation, with hope, with joy, knowing that all of those things that God says that He'll do, He always does. And some of us maybe are kind of the kind of people that we don't like to wait on things. You know, some people like uh, maybe like save their money and they buy something after a year of waiting and they they kind of watch that and they, they do that. Other people are like very quick to buy something. And so all of us kind of are living, though, in a world where even if we're used to getting things quickly, when we deal with some of the things as far as growing in godliness or waiting for Christ's return, it's a long road to wait. And some of us probably feel that over and over and you think, man, this is a marathon of faith. I'm waiting upon the Lord. I'm hoping in Him. And I'm, and I, and I, I'm awaiting that. But, but what do we do in between? Our waiting for the second coming and right now. What do you do? What's our responsibility in this world at where we are right now? I think we're going to talk about that in the few, we're going to look at that very much more closely in a, in a couple of weeks. Lanny will be sharing with us as a church. But today, I think what we do is get a glimpse of this. The angels tell of his coming. The shepherds speak of Christ's coming. They're going to share what has been revealed to them. I think as Christians, as we think about Christ's coming, we should be ones who are not only remembering those things, hearing afresh from God's Word those things, but also looking for ways that we can share with others. And in the meantime, oftentimes I think our hearts can grow cold, and so we have to figure out ways to fan the flame and make ourselves more and more uh, overwhelmed by the glorious message that's revealed and then desirous of sharing that with other people. And I want to ask you yourself, like if you were to talk about this year, this last year, were you someone you would say that longed to share about Christ's coming? Did you understand that the proper response of those who live in this age is to speak of Christ, to share with others, to gather His people together from all over the world so that they might with one voice rejoice in the Lord and proclaim that even more so with those around us? I don't know where you are today, but I hope that you'll think about that today. Our, our right response to what we learn about Jesus. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now what we know is, that this is just important for us to, to remember, in chapter 2, verses 1-7, through seven, we, we kind of looked at that last week. What we saw was that Mary and Joseph, Joseph had traveled 90 miles to this place, Bethlehem, 
They left the northern region of, 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 of the promised land. They came down to the southern. They're south of Jerusalem. And they come there and it comes to a place where Mary is, is ready to have this child. So evidently she was late in her pregnancy when they came. And what we find out is that when they get to Bethlehem, they're, they're looking around and they're trying to play, find a place to stay and there was no place in the end. And so what happened? They ended up having this baby, and, and, and really, it was basically, they tried to stay in the end, but they end up having it in a barn. The, the king of the universe, the one who was promised to come, the Messiah, ends up birthed in a barn. Many people would say that was like, in that day, that was probably like a cave up on a hill. They would dig it out, and then all the animals would be there. And so Jesus was born there in a place of humility. Now, where we are there is just to remind you, that's where we were. Now, now the story picks up and says there are shepherds out very close to there, very close to Bethlehem, who are out in a field and they're out there at night. Now, what, what do we know about shepherds? We know that they would do that at night because there were people like people that would come in and try to steal their flock. There were people or animals that would try to take the flock by night predators i guess you would say and thieves were very common in that time and so they're protecting their flocks at night now for many years just kind of thinking about a shepherd for many years that's kind of where israel started abraham was a shepherd he had livestock and he moved around in a tent and as you kind of watch the people they when they go to egypt they're set in this place where uh, away from all of the, the the population center of the egyptian empire over there kind of in goshen it's called and they were there because uh, the the egyptians didn't really like shepherds they kind of looked down upon them and because again they're just kind of a traveling people moving around i was thinking of a uh, open range i don't know how many of you've seen that with robert duvall and kevin costner they were what they called them were free grazers. They grazed around from land to land. And this man that owned a bunch of land is kind of the leader of the town was like, I can't stand free grazers because they're just moving around and taking from whoever they wish. They don't have a place to live. And so they get into a big fight. But it's just important to understand like what the situation is. They would be God's people were really, again, looked down upon oftentimes. But at this time in, in their history, probably the best our, our understanding is many people did live in little towns and they kind of had their own. Uh, they set up little places to live and they were living in the land that God had promised. And so those who were kind of the shepherds would be looked down upon probably among the people. Most people, scholars will say that they would be kind of like the wild kind of cowboy types. Thought of another song by Willie Nelson who sang, Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. Y'all remember that song? It's kind of that feel a little bit. So you're kind of like, the ones that are going to hear about the king coming, it, that, that announcement to be given to shepherds was kind of a little bit like, they're, again, like people that would, people wouldn't say, hey, these are the greatest people on the planet. But Jesus didn't come in the way that we thought that he would. He's born in a and laid in a manger, and then he's the, the people, the, king, the, 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 the kings of that day, and the powerful and noble people were not the ones that heard first. It was the shepherds. And you're just reminded in the scripture that God's wisdom is not like ours. Reminded of 1 Corinthians, where it says, Not many were wise or noble, but God chooses the weak in order to shame the wise. That's something we see throughout the scripture. In verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. 
The angel of the Lord appeared to Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. We know that so far. And I think it's important just to understand that. That it, it, this appearing, is, it comes with a message. Angels primarily are ones who brought messages. They would speak to humanity. They would interpret the events that God had for His people to understand and grasp. The glory of the Lord here, one scholar said, it's a heavenly brightness rightly regarded as the manifestation of God's presence and power. It flashed all around them. Sometimes when we look at that and we see that, you think that would be shocking. It, it is something that should be shocking. It was something when they saw that, they, they're, they're, we see in Scripture, sometimes when people understand the fullness of the glory of God, they fall down. They fall down as dead men. There, there's a, a frightening nature to it. The great God of the universe has come to, to, to His presence kind of falling down upon them. There's something about that glorious picture that it brought fear in their hearts. Actually, great fear in their hearts. There's a reverence. And that, that, that kind of, you know, we're reminded that sometimes in our culture, there, there's this kind of picture of like God being so personal and so kind of lovey-dovey that we don't think of Him as one we should fear. Someone who should, we should be awestruck when God shows up. And there's something of that. We see that in their hearts. And so you're kind of left there going, wow. These men understand what we see oftentimes is people when they're in the presence of God's glory, they see their sinfulness. And there's a certain level, again, of fear. But verse 10, the angel speaks to them. And this is one of the beautiful things we often see as the Lord comes to His people and they're struck with fear and then there's comfort that comes. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angel tells them not to fear, even though they're in the presence of, this, of God's glory and, and the greatness and His majesty, then there's this comfort that you don't have to fear. He's come to bring peace to you. This is not a, a, a period where it's really kind of this idea that their fear is turned into joy. It, it, it's something that God has come, this holy God has come down to humanity to reconcile them so they don't have to be in fear any longer. The reality is man left to himself should fear. But when Christ came down, it's to reconcile us so we don't have to have any more fear. As First John says, perfect love casts out fear. And so we, we see this kind of unfolding here. It's a beautiful picture. It, it, notice what it says, it's joy for all the people. It's not joy just for one group of people. It, it, it's, it's, it's this great joy for all the people. That, there's something about that that we need to, for us, we need to understand that, that there, just, it doesn't matter who you are, when it comes to God working, He saves people from all different places of life. It's not just the elite. It's not just the, the, someone who has a high socioeconomic level. It's not the most intellectual. It's God is about working in the lives of people. And it's, it, everyone's kind of equal, we say, before the cross. But not only that, I think it's important that we understand that this message, this Gospel message in the book of Acts is going to spread throughout the world. It's not designed for one little group of people. It, it moves beyond that. That's what the promise was to Abraham. Are we okay? Yeah. The wasp or what? Yeah. Those things, I've had one attack me before. It's pretty rough. Okay. Anyway, but Karen, you are fast, I will say. It was speedy. 
Okay, so if you're looking at this and let's kind of um, when you're thinking about what is taking place, there is this kind of this this broader picture here. It's 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 saying that the whole earth is to hear the message of the glorious gospel. And, And we do have to say, like, do we have that kind of vision? Do we have that kind of vision of what God is doing in the world? That, it, that this, this message is to spread throughout? Do we have a heart as a church for the nations to see them come to faith? But also, I just think it's, it's interesting, when He speaks to them this, this great news, this good news, it, what do you do with good news in your life? You know, we think about the good news that we've heard. Maybe someone, I, I'll have people text me, they killed a big buck, they win a bass tournament, they buy something for a good deal. I mean, you, the list go. You win a ball game. You tell people. You like to express that. Make a good grade on a test. Get a promotion. Whatever it might be, there's things that we say. Boy, I love to talk about that. I love to share that. Uh, Skip came up this morning. He was like, "I saw the biggest deer." Everybody sees big deer driving down the road. Skip thinks it's the biggest one he's ever seen. I'm like, eh, maybe. But but it's just they're bigger until you ground check them, right, Skip? You know about that? No, but I, I just think it. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like one of the things that when we bring good news, it's something is of great joy, and we would say this: we celebrate wonderful things as Christians. But there's nothing more filled with joy than something of eternal significance, because God is doing something powerful. What is He doing? He is bringing this good news to the whole world, and it should be great news to us. And we should love to share with others about it. And notice verse 11. What is the good news? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus was born on this, a certain day. This reveals, of course, His humanity. We know that He was in the lineage of David. He was born in Bethlehem. It, everything was fulfilled here. This Christ has come. He's come. Christ, when we see this here, is the Savior of the world. Now, here's the thing. And we always have to remind ourselves, Jesus was a healer. He was a teacher. He was an example. But first and foremost, He is a Savior. That's something we have to keep telling each other. Because sometimes you meet people in Christian traditions that don't really say that His primary, the primary emphasis of Christ's coming was to save us. He is here to save. One author wrote, Be my example and my guide, my friend, yea, everything beside. But first, last, best, whatever betide, be thou to be me, my Savior. That's a central focus of His coming. What did He come to save us from? We say this over and over and over again. But sometimes it's interesting to me that people hear the message of the Gospel and and, unless the Spirit of God opens their mind to understand it, they do not get this. He came to save us from our sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He came to reconcile us to God. He did so not by saying, hey God, pass over our sins, but by becoming sin for us. By incurring the wages of sin, which is the wrath of God for us. He died in our place on the cross. 
That's what He came to do. He is a Savior who saves us from the ultimate uh, troublesome thing that we could ever imagine, and that is both under God's wrath and alienation from God, all of those things for eternity. That's what He saved us from. He, he took the penalty of our sin. He died on the cross for us. Notice what you see in verse 11. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. The, the, when we say Christ, and, and, and if you looked at that in your Old Testament, sometimes you'll see the word potentially like Messiah. Both of those means that, that this one who's, who's to come, that's what's presented in the Old Testament over and over. The one who was going to come, who would usher in a time of peace and, and free the people from their enemies. That's what the Messiah was. That's who, who He was. He was the promised deliverer of the people. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Boy, because we need to think about this over and over and remind ourselves. In Jesus' day, when He shows up on the scenes, there were a, te- a group of people called zealots. They were not looking for a man of peace. They were looking for a man of war. They thought of Jesus as maybe like somebody like King David who God even says he had so much blood on his hands. It was in, in, in his day, people would say David's kill, or Saul's killed thousands, David tens of thousands. Or they may have thought like Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And Joshua shows up on the scenes and God says, go into the land and you beat everybody out of this land and you take you know, no prisoners. You go into the land and you destroy anyone who's keeping this land from being your land. And you say, the zealots would say, we're looking for a man like this who will throw off Roman rule and just cast them aside and set up our kingdom and it'll be a wonderful day. There are another group of people like the Pharisees in Jesus' time who wanted to bring moral reform like a good conservative politician. Jesus would come in and He would bring reform and certainly probably have some kind of war aspects that would be taking place, but ultimately what Jesus was for them is to get uh, get the, the people back, straighten them out, make them better people. But the kind of Savior that that they were looking for was nothing like what Jesus was in his day. And you kind of have to ask the question, what kind of Savior are people looking for today? A Savior who will conquer our military enemies? A Savior who will defeat liberals? Or are we looking for a Savior like Jesus was? Who would deal with bigger things than that? He would save us from our sins. Are we preaching a Savior that saves people from their sins? Are we preaching a Savior that is dying on the cross and suffering for our sins? There's no doubt that He will purge all of our enemies and all rebellion and He will set up a place where perfect morals will be prevalent and God's ways and rule will be perfect. But in His time when He came, He wore the cross and not a crown. It's confusing sometimes of what kind of Savior we're speaking of. And I would even say to us today, some of you here, what Charles Spurgeon says, there are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers on earth. There's something about it's costly to follow Jesus in this life. And we need to understand that Jesus came to save us and to use us to bring His message of reconciliation to God we are to speak that throughout the world. And with that, we will wear 
the cross in this life. Verse 12, how will the shepherds find this child? That's kind of a question you might ask. And we would say there's a very clear distinction here. And this will be a sign for you. will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Probably not many. Bethlehem was a small little place. Probably not many people, many babies lying in a manger ever. They go and they can move around and see and find out this place where the baby is. It's a very clear thing for them to be able to see. Verse 13, what should be our response to this news, you might say? And you kind of ask, what was their response? Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel, and really we would say, kind of what were the angel's response to this amazing thing? And then we're going to see again, like what will be uh, the shepherd's response. But notice here, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. You see that? After the instructions were given, this revelation, then then all of a sudden this angel that would have come to them by himself, now it's, it's, it's like a whole army of angels. Like a heavenly choir. As it say they're singing, but people debate on whether that's the case, but they're speaking. Either way, they're, they're proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. It's really realizing, you can see in this, it is, it's for the glory of God. This is the work of God. God is doing this. God's accomplishing this. They are praising God of heaven for what He's done on earth. That's what we're awaiting all along the whole time is always waiting for heaven's ways and heaven's rule and God's plans to come down on earth. And we see that taking place. This child was going to bring peace between heaven and earth. He is reconciling a people for Himself. You know, when it says upon those whom He is pleased, there's a sense in which we would say God will say of Jesus, this is My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And those who are reconciled to Him, those who trust in Christ, it can be said of them, God is pleased with them. Because He is pleased with His Son. Those who are united to Christ by faith, God can speak over you. I am pleased with you. You are in right standing with Me. I love you. You are My child because we are reconciled to the Son. And so all those who are going to be throughout the ages from every tongue, tribe, and nation who are reconciled to the Son, He speaks over them. He is pleased with them. There is peace to them because they are reconciled to Him. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most amazing things you could ever know is that you're at peace with God. And it's not a peace like, well, I've made peace with God. What does that mean? You cannot make peace with God. Jesus made peace with God. And you, by faith, trusting in what He accomplished, you can say, I'm at peace with God. No other way for you to make peace by yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's what we see. 
And not only that, we're given this, and that's what we're talking about, telling of His coming. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's so important that we see that. How are we reconciled to God? Verse 21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Everything about this story is about God sending His Son to reconcile a people for Himself so that they who were under God's wrath can be experience His mercy. They who were separated from God can be reconciled to God. Those who were dead in their trespasses and sins can be alive together with Christ. That is what this story and this message is about. That is why it is good news. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They responded to God's revelation in faith. They believed Him. They believed Him and acted upon what He had for them. When we claim faith, then we should have actions that follow. It's one of the things you see in there. They're responding to what He said in faith and trusting God at His Word. They're looking for the Savior and they go to find Him because God has expressly told them that He has come. Notice what we see here. What did they do with that knowledge that they received in verses 17-20? through And when they saw it, they made known the saying, that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now listen, they'd heard this message. Then they go to the place where, where, where we're told the baby will be there and they see the baby and then they share. They, they told this story without fear. That certainly, when you come and say, I've had this vision, people might look at you and go, what? What are you talking about? The Messiah's here? You found Him in a manger? In a barn? Are you serious? You're not people we trust. There's nothing about the shepherds. The, the people look at them and say, no, nah, I don't know. They're a little crazy. They stayed up a little late. They got a little wild tonight. They didn't eat the right stuff. No, they share these things. They speak of what had taken place. And some people respond with kind of, there's a sense in which when they're responding, they're just kind of, they're, they're wondering. They wondered about it. Huh, well, I don't know. Know that guy, know his brother. Uh, I don't know. There's a certain sense here when we think about that and we're looking into this, we're saying, listen, the message of the gospel is not always just naturally, people don't just take it in. They don't always receive it like you think that they would they don't always believe it to be good news they may look at you in different ways they may ridicule you all those things are prevalent as the kingdom is spoken even when jesus comes and he begins to speak to the people they pick up stones to throw at him they go beyond just wondering and they say we hate his message he's a liar he's a lunatic 
But I, I think it's important that we understand that we see that because they are speaking of these things that, that the Lord has revealed to them about the Savior. They responded in faith and they share it openly. It says even Mary here, though, she treasured it up in her heart. She believed what they told her. She's holding on to that. She pondered these things. I was thinking like the hours she nursed this baby and watched him grow up as a little boy and then put him down at night. They're in that silence, in that quiet moments looking down upon him. Knowing that, that God had told her that He's the Savior of the world and then knowing what the, the, these, these shepherds said about Him. Even on her sorrow-filled days when, when she heard people saying negative things about Him and when He's crucified and she's standing there and she, she's treasuring those things in her heart because here's the thing, you've got to walk by faith. That's what this life's about is seeing and believing what, what God has said in spite of what people would say and in spite of the circumstances that she's trusting in what the Lord had said. What He had revealed. The shepherds leave and they, they don't just leave there silently. They leave there praising God, rejoicing in God, amazed by what God has done, what He has said to them, what they've seen, what they've heard, what they touched. Now listen, what they're, they're praising and honoring of God. We see that even among the disciples as they hear of the message and as they grasp it and as they go out into the world proclaiming that message to others. We know that people will respond differently. But I will say this, if you are here and you know that message and you've heard it, I hope you're, you ought to pray, God, make my heart fill with joy. Make me be ready to share with all those around me. Make me understand that just as Mary treasured those in their heart, God is going to cause people to hear that message for the first time and treasure it in their hearts. May we be people filled with joy as we think about this season, about the Christ who's come. And as we conclude today, I just think it's a couple of things. I was actually talking to um, I was talking to uh, Bobby and, and Rick and and, and uh, John Morell. Y'all, some of y'all have met him. This week we were eating lunch together, and one of the things I asked them is what what rekindles like the fire and excitement and the joy of Christ's coming. What what does that for us? What kind of, like you might say, stokes the flame of your heart or, or like adds oxygen to the fire of your heart? Whatever you want to say. What does that? What are the kind of things that, that do that so that this season is filled with what the shepherds, what we see them rejoicing in the Lord, speaking of the Lord? How, how, do, we, how do we get there or continue there? I think one thing is we would say revelation. It always helps. I mean, they, under, they heard from the Lord. Us sitting here today, we read the Scripture, we hear it read, we hear it preached. We must hear from God. That's something that helps get that fire, that passion, that excitement about what Christ has done for us. Even after we've heard it for a while, the shepherds like us, once that event is over, there's a certain level of like, over time, maybe ten years later, you remember it, you sit down and share it with people, but, but really it just kind of loses its wonder. I think one is to just read and hear the Scriptures and hear from God. The second is we must rehearse these things and treasure them in our heart. Anna asked me not too long ago, have you unplugged lately? So that you can stop and, and reflect on Him. To spend time in prayer and solitude and devoting our time to just treasuring what God has done. Third thing I would say 
When you share the good news of Christ coming with others, it inspires you. I promise. I, there's never a time. I, I was sitting down with some, actually, with those guys the other day, and I thought, well, you know, we're going to meet with them on Thursday. We're going to talk about the Lord and things. And, and, and there's a part of it's just like, it's another day, another lunch, another time. And then as I begin to share it, 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 like, it, it just it gets me so excited to think about the wonder of God's coming to us. The first and the second of looking back to the past, looking forward to the future. When I do that, it excites me. And I've heard people say before, well, I've just sat in church so long, I've heard all the stories, da-da-da-da-da. The reason they're not growing in the faith is because they are not sharing it. It's that way over and over and over again. The way reason that you're lulled to sleep in your Christian life is because you're not pursuing the explaining and sharing with others. You, you read and you hear and you tell it's just what we do. That's the kind of people we are. We are witnesses. We are sharing these things. And it excites the heart of one who does it. When Von Roberts was speaking of the kingdom of God throughout salvation history, he walks through the different parts of their time periods in the kingdom. He looked back to the past, the pattern of the kingdom with Adam and Eve. He moves forward of the perished kingdom in the fall. He goes forward to the promised kingdom when Abraham heard that God was going to save His people. Then we, he talks about the partial kingdom, Israel living in all that time in the Old Testament. He speaks of the prophesied kingdom. And he says, well, there's a time when the prophets would speak and say, God's going to judge you, but there's hope of a future. He talks about the present kingdom kingdom when Christ came in his first coming and then when he gets to us he calls it the proclaimed kingdom God's kingdom proclaimed in this age we are primarily messengers of God's kingdom Christ has come he will come again we live between that time of all things being restored and what's our goal it is to make disciples of all the nations and what will fan the flame in your heart is to make disciples of all nations, sharing the gospel. The whole world is our mission field. It's good news for all. Now, as I conclude today, I was thinking about the Hobbit. Some of you are Hobbit people, you like the Hobbit. Maybe you haven't heard of it. You can look it up, Google it. But anyway, there's a movie, second movie's coming out with a Hobbit movie. And one of the things you learn about the hobbit is that the hobbits love a good pint, fine pipe tobacco, well prepared for food, uh, prepared food, quality craftsmanship, nice gardens, and wonderful celebrations. This is what they like. They love to just have a nice, peaceful life. They love quality things. They certainly treasure their friends and their times together and all the joys of that they don't really like going on adventures they don't really want to be involved in that they prefer something more stable something more manageable something like just a more relaxed environment but when you read that story Bilbo Baggins was destined for more he had to leave the peaceful shire to go on an adventure I would say to you today you may enjoy a life of tranquility and peace. Quality friendships, quality things, designing them, keeping up with them, 
watching them. But we don't live in that time. We're called to more. We're called to more than that. We, we are looking for a day when there will be tranquility and peace and joy and everything will be quiet and nice and joy-filled and just, oh, we'll get to enjoy those things. But it's not right now. We may get a little piece of that, but we're about something more. We are called to be on mission for, the king, for God's kingdom and to spread the Gospel to the nations. And what happens with that is we're destined for an adventure. And that adventure is not like through just non-troublesome times. The Scripture tells us that, and, and what you see in Amazing Grace, the song is through many dangers, toils, and snares we will go through, but His grace will provide us with what we need for that moment. So I would just say for you and I this year, I hope you will make it something of a desire to tell others of His coming. Like I said, we're going to go into greater detail with Lanny on this, but I want you to be reminded over and over and over again that those who are called by God to know Him in the present are called upon by God to share of Him in this world. The Scripture says that the people come to believe in the Gospel by the beautiful feet of those preaching. Those people that were beautiful feet of the people preaching were ones who were running with the message so that when people would see them running, they could see these feet coming and they would know, some people would say, by the way their feet were, whether they were coming with good news or bad news, but you and I are coming with good news. So I pray during this season, You'll speak to your family and your co-workers and those around you of Christ's first and second coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We just pray that You would help us see in a much more beautiful way that we are called to something more than just living an easier life. We are called to an adventure of telling of Your coming until You return. May we be faithful people in that endeavor. In Christ's name, Amen.